I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. And today we are talking about emergency shelters. And there is... Historically, from what I understand, I'm, I'm Dan, by the way, your host today. And from what I understand, there is historically an idea that shelters needed to be 30 day shelters. You can only stay for, for only 30 days and you have to go. And it was tied to some things and, and, you know, whatever. But that isn't necessarily the case anymore because 30 days isn't always enough time. Uh, and so we're talking about 30 day shelters. And joining me today is our Director of Advocacy Services, Deborah Hackworth. Hi, Debbie. And, and also our uh, former director of housing, so she knows all about the shelter, Ellen Higgins. Uh, Ellen, welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome back, I mean, to our show. Um, so ladies, who are, you know, whoever wants to kind of start, wh- where did this idea come from of 30-day shelters, first of all? Well, in the beginning, um, when at least when I started hearing about shelters, it was, let's just get someone to a safe place and then they'll be able to move on to someplace else. And so um, I guess the powers that be thought 30 days was enough for them to get to where they um, be safe um, and be able to establish some things to move on. But what we found And they probably found it out pretty quickly that 30 days is not enough when you're leaving um, everything that you know and you're starting from zero to get to where you need to be so that you are able to um, be on your feet and independent. And so um, over the last years, a lot of the shelters, especially the ones in our state, have revisited this whole shelter stay limit um, conversation and decided that that's not really empowering for our ladies because then they're rushed and they're not able to deal with the situation that's really brought them there because the whole time they're trying to figure out where am I going to go next? And Ellen, I, I, called you the former director of housing as if you don't work for DACES anymore. You do work for us. You're the outreach coordinator. I yes. <laughs> revisit that. Um, but when, when you were in charge of housing, what are some of the, the, the things that survivors coming to us 
would have to do that takes longer than 30 days? Like what do they, what, what should someone prepare for? Well, honestly, I think the 30 day thing came more from homeless shelters and they were thinking if you're just homeless. So that is excluding any other trauma. And we know now that even those who are homeless have experienced domestic violence and sexual assault. And that could be a reason they're homeless in the first place. Hmm. Um, it came from that. And then it just kind of carried over, I feel like, into the domestic violence, sexual assault realm. And then we became the, you know, had to become that 30 days as well. Um, but when someone comes to our shelter, I mean, it's a really, it's starting over completely um, with with what you have, which is usually just a suitcase. Um, and that alone, you you don't have any of your basic needs required. So when you're thinking, oh, if they're just coming to your shelter, we're going to find them housing. They're going to get into housing and that's it. Well, you have not taken care of any of the other basic needs. You have not actually helped them with their domestic violence yet or the sexual assault they've experienced and then all the trauma that comes with that. So I think first, and it's, what is it, Debbie, is it Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh kind of what we we use we need the basic needs met first before we can even go beyond that housing is usually it's the last it's the last thing because when you're working with someone with um trauma from domestic violence and you think i think people need to go deeper than okay she was physically abused or he was physically abused, there's verbal abuse, manipulation, there's gaslighting, you know, it's all of that, that comes along with it. Um, So it's more than just a a little step by step process. That's just not what it is. And a lot of people don't understand that PTSD doesn't set in while you're in your abusive situation. It sets in after you have left that situation. And so a lot of times we'll see someone come into shelter and um, they then start to experience symptoms of PTSD. And so they're not even able to move on and get started with some things. There are just maybe days of just numbness coming to terms with their reality. And so if they only have then 30 days to um, from when they get there to when they have to leave, that means, well, I don't have time to even deal with the emotions and the pain that I'm dealing with. And even though it was an unhealthy relationship, it was a loving relationship on my end. And I have to deal with the fact that my relationship has ended and my children no longer have a father in the home and my finances are now up in the air and I'm homeless. Mm. So that there's a lot that coming in that they have to um, contend with other than just the fact that um, they no longer have a place to stay. Another thing that uh, we had to look at is um, how long it takes to get what they need to even move forward. You know, prior to COVID, if we put in an application 
for a birth certificate. That would take two weeks alone to get that birth certificate back from the time when we submitted it to we get it back. It was usually about two weeks. Um, now in the age of COVID, it's a lot longer. Um, yeah. and, oh, and you can't get a birth certificate if you don't have your identification. But now you're homeless. And so you don't have an address. So how do you get identification? And so it's, it's a very tangled web that um, each survivor has to unweave when they come in um, in order to just begin to start over again. And when you're talking about birth certificate, I mean, is that re- like, I-, I would never have thought of that. If I'm a victim coming to the shelter, I'm not bringing my home paperwork with me. So am I looking for my own birth certificate for that of my kids, both? Like what is all of it? Yeah, all of it. When yeah, someone, uh, when someone calls um, and we do safety planning with them before they actually leave, that is one of the things that we tell them that they should bring with them. Bring all important paperwork with you, birth certificates of yours, your kids, social security cards. Um, if you happen to have a separate bank account, sometimes we have them help them to create one and get a little money saved up before they leave. So it's not when we do that, we want to make sure that we're not putting it all on them to think of because the situation is already stressful and difficult enough. So we want to provide them with a step so they can leave. A lot of times that's part of the abuse um, though that the abuser will hold on to those important papers because they understand how important they are. We had a survivor who was with us who uh, this was not her native country and her abuser held on to her passport, their, the children's important papers as a way to keep her um, with him and to keep her from um, being able to start over at least easily. So that can be a tactic that the abuser uses. Gotcha. Okay, so there's the uh, so there's the ID because you have to get, have an identification card to be able to get your um, birth certificate or your social security card. Now, if you have your ID but you don't have your birth certificate, um, you may be able to get a replacement. Um, card but then again we don't know if you don't have any ID um, it, it really starts there and that, that gets really messy because um, what address are you going to put down for your ID you don't want to put down your abuser's address I mean there's just so many different things and so that's why 30 days is not enough from start to finish for someone to start over again. I know things with the state as far as DHHS, the Department of Health and Human Services, um, they're streamlining things a lot more now, but to process some of those applications, sometimes that would take at least 21 days. And again, this is after it's taken two weeks for you to get your important paperwork. Um, So some 
some applications um, were 21 days, some applications they have as long as 45 days to process. Man. And so we have to take all of that into consideration, plus the fact that this is a person who's been traumatized and yeah. um, need to heal or begin the healing process of what yeah. they've experienced. Wow, man. There's so much, there's so much to it. So is there any, you know, one of my thoughts was like, well, this must be, you know, tied to money. You only have money for 30 days. It isn't necessarily tied to money. It's just tied to this historic idea of 30 days, but at least that's what I've heard so far, but I got to believe, I mean, it, it does take money to support survivors needing to come out, you know, staff members, things that you do, the, the, the shelter itself, uh, taxes, all, you know, electricity, all these things. Um, how can listeners support that shelter idea and to make sure that folks have, you know, more than 30 days and they have a place to go? What, what can we, what can we do as listeners to support that? Well, we always have uh, a wish list, is what it's called, but it's really just our needs um, for the daily things that we use, obviously like food and hygiene products, but also to help people get their birth certificates, get their driver's license, especially if they're in a place where they weren't allowed to work. And now after how many ever years they have to go get a job and just dump, jump right back into it. They don't have the funds for those things. So mm. if you donate specifically, like I want this money to go to the shelter for when they have to purchase these things for clients. That is such a huge, huge thing. And like just contributing to um, the grocery, you know, money that goes towards that that's a big deal as well. Being able to provide them, I mean, with the basic necessities that we all have. Mm -hmm. It's also important that um, our community and those out there just um, donate money to be used indiscriminately. Because just like you said, you know, there's, there's the overhead cost of running a shelter. There's um, the staff that um, that need uh, to be paid in order. So there's, um, there, there's a lot of different things. So um, donating um, to our, our organization or the organization in your area um, is very important. So they can check that out on our website, um, dacismi.org. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and there's oftentimes um, different fundraisers. You can also, this is so great, you can designate our agency through um, smile.amazon.com so that proceeds from your purchases on Amazon um, can go towards our agency. Every little bit helps. I wouldn't, you know, it's, it's a small percentage, but that grows if we're all um, working towards that, it will grow. Also, we would not um, turn anyone down if they wanted for their birthdays or anything you see on um, social media that people are doing fundraisers for their birthdays. If you chose domestic and sexual abuse services as the recipient of the funds of your birthday fundraiser, we would not be angry. We would be uh, forever grateful for that. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's... So, as I understand it, then 
like especially when it comes to uh, Dasis shelter, uh, the Hellman house, we call it. Uh, it's not 30 days and you're out, but it's also not like live there forever, right? The goal is to empower these survivors to be on their own. Um, is there any kind of a, a magic number that we're like that, that we kind of see? I mean, is it 45 days really is kind of the sweet spot? Is it just totally dependent? What does that look like? Are you, let me clarify, like, do you mean fully self-sufficient, just on their own, can do everything, healed and everything? Because if, I mean, is that what you mean? I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> That's a great because question it, back. I mean, that will take a lifetime. It is, mm-hmm. it is forever process of healing. I mean, things can come up years later that, you know, that, that you didn't even think you needed healing from or things can come up that you thought you had been healed for so that can take a long time and that's the reason we have non-residential services too so when you leave our shelter we're not we're not saying we're just done you know you've left our shelter no we want you to be taken care of as you take little steps along the way um toward healing and toward being on your own When I worked in shelter, my goal was that when someone left our shelter, they were better off than they were when they came, better off in some way. And so it could be just emotionally, they're in a better place. We haven't been able to solve all of your problems, but at least you know now that there's hope for healing and you're moving forward in that. There are so many times when um, before we removed our shelter stay limits, our 30 day shelter stay limit, I, I would be heartbroken because, okay, now this person has to go to another shelter and I just don't believe they're in a good place. But um, we are a lot more flexible now. We um, take it on a case by case basis. There are some people who come there because they need 30 days to just a 30 day break from their life or sometimes a two day break from their life. And that's fine. Cause we don't have any um, limits to how long you have to stay either. You can come and stay there for two days and be like, I just needed it to clear my head and now I can move forward, you know, and that's fine too. So um, my hope is that when um, our, survivors our house guests leave that they're better in some way and what i i i say that i love this because when we have someone who has you know been at our shelter a handful of times um you can see when they come back what they learned the last time they were here Mm -hmm. so you know that they're learning you know that they're taking steps they still happen to be in a domestic violence relationship, but they're trying. They're still moving forward, even though it's the fifth time they've been there. But they learned something yeah. last four times that won't happen again. So I'm going to share a story of a survivor um, who was, man, she was in and out of our shelter a lot in her previous relationship. And each time it would, it was hard to see her go because I knew she was going back to that abusive relationship. Well, after um, learning a lot and, and realizing that the situation wasn't going to change, she left that relationship. 
Well, she um, started a new relationship that at the beginning seemed really healthy. But when she started noticing those red flags, those warning signs that we talked about, she remembered, okay, this is not headed in a good direction. She remembered her safety plan that she had worked on with advocates. And she was like, you know what? I know where I can go to be safe before this goes too far. I can get out before it goes too far and and she did and so when she came back to the shelter it wasn't a oh no you're back again she was like no I got out before it got to the point where it wasn't something that I can handle and so that's a success story it doesn't mean she never had to come back to our shelter but it meant that she had learned enough to not let it get to where it was before and she knew where she could go and find help. Yeah. I love that example. And it, and it answers the questions of how many times can you come? There's no, there's no, there's no answer. What happens if they come back? It's okay. We're there to keep teaching. I love that she learned something and was able to see those red flags. That's, that's incredibly and every time. And every time someone comes back, it isn't, oh no, you're back again. It's more of a, you know what? I'm glad I get another chance to work with you. I'm glad we have another chance to help you find hope and healing. I'm glad to see you. I'm glad that you're still with us. Hmm. That's a big one. There's so much in that statement right there. Just sit down and think about for a minute. You know, Daisis is so glad that you're still there because the list of vigil names continues to grow. And so we want you still there. So there's no shame in it. There's no embarrassment in it. There's no frustration in it. Just continue to ask for help. Yeah. Is there anything that you'd want the public to know, listeners to know, people to know, donors, possibly supporters about emergency shelter that we haven't really covered yet? Um, continue to support. There are um, federal and state money that um, that is available to agencies like ours to be able to um, help survivors, but it doesn't cover everything. And so, continue to support um, with your with your funds, with your time. Um, just, you know, with your good thoughts and prayers, we need all of that. Yeah. Also, I would say, don't believe the stigmas, do your research. It is your neighbor, your cousin, your best friend. It can be anyone. Um, and that's something that I learned more and more of working at the shelter that it really truly can just be anyone um and that each person that comes through that door is important no one is less or more important than anyone else well thank you both for bringing this message to our listeners thank you for being a part of this work and for allowing me to be a part of it as well um appreciate you both thank you Thank you, Dan. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. 
If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.